0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to thank you guys for coming. We're glad that you're here with us here at Sojourn. We are striving to not be about gimmicks or production, but to be about putting Jesus on display in all that we do. And so, when you hear our songs, they're saturated in biblical truth. They're they're from people that have meditated on the Word or their straight Scripture themselves. And, and when we come to the preaching time, we're not turning to anything else but to the Word of God that is our authority over us. And so I'd encourage you guys to turn there. We've been working through 1 Corinthians, and today we start 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you guys have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't, the words are on the screen, or if you don't have a Bible at all, there's one over here for you. We'd love for you to take that home with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, would you be gracious enough to us to completely put on display Jesus and nothing else, that we may see him, treasure him, love him, believe in him, and trust him, and walk out of here doing those same things. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There's a popular thing in the business world that works really well, and it's this, this kind of a slogan that says, that the customer is king. And so if you're in, the, if you're in business... This is what you want to do. If the customer has a demand or some sort of order, you you want to make sure that that is taken care of, especially if you're trying to sell something, right? If there's a need for something that someone is willing to pay for, you want to supply that need so that you can make money in the situation as well. So the customer is king, and if anything the customer wants, you want to give them what they want. And we know this is true. We see this through all through businesses and the corporate kind of structure. You look at Hotels, the hotels that are the best hotels are the hotels that have the greatest amenities, the most amenities. You look at cars and the, the, the fancier cars are the ones that have more, more little gadgets and gizmos to work with inside. Power windows, power locks, heated seats, all those kind of things. They, they make us think like this is something that's better because it offers more to us. It fits the customer because the customer is king. And so if there's any little thing that the customer might want, boom, we want to give it to them and we want to charge a price for it. And this works great in the business world. In fact, I, I, I get a lot of benefit from this because I go on Amazon and I can order almost anything on there that I want. They have so made that and fit that to, to whatever, but somebody just click it in, type it in, and it can be sent right to your door. We love this as customers and as consumers. We're willing to pay for some of those conveniences. And so it's a great model in the business world. But this idea that the customer is king is disastrous in the church, You see, so often what we have done is that we have kind of taken that model and and that approach to life and to the customer and made it something that the church has wholeheartedly adopted. So much so that the churches often look look a lot like country clubs, and that's what they've made them like, where you can come and be comfortable, where you can have all your great friends, where you can do all these good things that you want to do, but it's, it's more of a social gathering than what we would call a church in the New Testament. Or you have these gyms, and now you can have a gym in your church. You don't need to go to the gym anymore. You have a gym right in your church because that's what the church people want. Let's give it to them. Or if we want a cafe in the church, let's go ahead and put that in there so they no longer have to go out to the cafe. They can get it right here, or their coffee shop, or whatever it may be. And so what we've done in this is that we've turned people that come to church, us, into more of a customer and consumer rather than a believer who's following after Jesus. So the Corinthians had the same issue. There's too much of Corinth in the Corinthian church rather than them being salt and light in their culture and in their context. And so they are coming and it's more like customers at the mall rather than people that are ready and willing to, to sit under the teaching of Of Christ. And so often that's exactly the way we are. We want something, we want a place that fits every one of our desires, that makes us feel comfortable, that is something that entertains us, that has value beyond even just the spiritual value. We want all the amenities along with it as well. And what I'm concerned with is that as a church, sometimes our our primary focus and our primary attention has shifted away. Maybe slightly, maybe largely, but shifted away from what our primary concern should be. Surely this was going on in the Corinthian church. Their primary concern had shifted from what it should be. And, and honestly, like it's time for us to say enough of this stuff. Enough of this place where we're trying to be a country club. Where we're trying to give all these amenities to people that are coming to churches. I mean, that needs to go away because what it does is it puts the customer, the consumer, the churchgoer at the center point of all that we're doing here. And Christ never does that with his church. Christ is always the center point of his church, and he wants to be that. And so as Paul approaches these Corinthians, as he writes to them, what he's trying to remind them of, what he's trying to remind us of, is that we need to concern ourselves with something. And primarily, that concern ought to be the content of what we're doing here. The content of the gospel is what is to be primary in our churches, not the amenities that we offer or don't offer, not the attractiveness of our building, not the the show or the production that we can put all on here, not even the goodness or poorness of the speaker up here every single week. What's most important, what our primary concern should be, is the content of the gospel. Why? So that God's power might be on display, not any church's power. So we need to concern ourselves primarily with the content of the gospel, that God's power would be on display. And this is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. He he comes to them, and he comes to them with the word of the cross, this message of Christ crucified. He comes to them with the gospel. And he says this is folly to some, those who are perishing, but to others it's power to salvation. Those are those who are believing. But notice in verse 1, Paul's intentionality with these things. He says, and when I came, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And so Paul comes, once again, he's talking in familial language, brothers. He wants to come alongside them and remind them of the truth of the scripture, remind them of why he came. And he he reminds them of what he proclaimed and why he proclaimed it. And so let's look back in verse 17 of what he came to do. He said, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Again, in verse 23, he emphasizes what he came to do. But we preach Christ crucified. He goes down in verse 29 again. This is kind of why he's doing these things, what he's doing, so that no human being being might boast in the presence of God. And So what he's doing is he's coming with the gospel, Christ crucified, this word of the cross, that no human being might boast, that everyone could say that God is the one who has done this, nothing else has persuaded it. And so he came to preach, and he came to preach a certain message that would be clear to them. Christ crucified, this word of the cross. But he was intentional in his coming. So not only did he go to Corinth, which I'm guessing if you're going to put on desirable cities, if you're Paul, that one probably wouldn't have been at the top. But he was intentional with his going. He had a mission with his going. But even in the content that he gives to them, he's intentional. Now look at it. He's intentional with what he gives them and what he doesn't give them. He gives it thought. He's strategizing how to best reach these people. Now, we've sent a team to Thailand last year, and we're getting ready to send another one here in May. What if they went to Thailand? They, They look out on the map and say, man, Thailand, Chiang Mai, there's a bunch of people that have never heard the gospel. Let's go there and preach the gospel. So they hop on a plane. They got all the money. They go there, and they get there and say, let's just go preach the gospel we got to appreciate the desire there, right? But, but there needs to be some strategy behind that. Because as an English-speaking American, you might have some problem communicating the gospel to people that don't speak English. And so you need to think strategically, how can we best get them the gospel? One of those things you might want to think about is language. What's the barrier here? How can we do this? And so our team, what they thought of is like, let's go into some schools where they want to learn English, where we can teach them these things and even kind of subversely give them the gospel, that's strategy. They're thinking. We're thinking intentionally how we're to reach these people. What is best? We're, We're considering content. What do we give? What do we not give? And this is exactly what Paul has done. And so we need to think about our lives. Are we intentional with not only where we go, but how we're going to these places? Do we strategize and think about and give thought to how we're going to tell others the gospel? How we're going to get it to them in a way that they can understand it and believe it. We need to be intentional in these things. And this is what Paul is. He came to them and he was intentional. He gave it thought and then he comes to them. And look what his primary concern is. His primary concern in his strategy and in his, all his intentionality, it was in the content of his message. He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. So he's intentional what he does and doesn't do. He did proclaim this testimony of God, but he did not do it with lofty speech and lofty wisdom. So, in other words, he's using, not using a form of, of superior speech, superior wisdom that they would have been attracted to in and of itself. So his language was conducive not to self-display, but to the display of the cross. And this would have been opposite of what was going on at the time. So Paul comes. He doesn't put on airs. He doesn't do anything that would make him look high and above other people that are around him. He puts aside all those things. He's not putting himself or his speaking abilities on display. What he's trying to do is put the gospel on display. He's trying to make sure that Christ crucified is on display. He doesn't want to be the star. He doesn't want all of his rhetoric to be the star of the show. He wants Christ to be the star of the show. And so rather than doing that, he says in verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He decided. He thought about it. He gave it thought. He went with intentionality. He went with intentionality not just with being there, but with what he said and didn't say, what he held in and what he spoke in front of them. He didn't do this everywhere. He is fitting his message to his context that he was going to. And so he goes with this intentionality, and he says he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. One commentator says it really well, I think, when he says that he, he, he knows nothing. It says to know nothing doesn't mean that he left all other knowledge aside, but that rather he had the gospel with its crucifi- crucified Messiah as his singular focus and passion while he was among them. Paul is thinking about these things so that he can protect the content of the gospel. He didn't say, don't ask me any questions because I don't know anything about that. I just know Christ and him crucified. I'm guessing there was some conversation going on between them. But what he did do is keep the central point, the focus of all that he was doing. He kept Christ crucified at the center of these things. He's not saying, I'm anti intellectual and I don't care about knowledge at all. And he doesn't tell them that either. He never tells them, forget about knowledge, guys. Just throw that to the side and believe this foolish message of Christ crucified. He's not an anti-intellectual, but what he does do is he opposes this intellectual vanity, as it were. This intellectual thing where, where you can just do it just to be smart. He's not doing that. He's putting those things aside so that Christ could be on display, not his intellect. And so his sole focus is on the preaching of the gospel, the content of that gospel. And he wants to do whatever he can do to not distract from that content. Now likely many of you have seen like many different presentations throughout your lifetime. One of the ones that came to mind when I was thinking about this was these charcoal painters. Have you guys seen these? They come up here and they have these big you know charcoal canvases and they just start coloring while they're talking. Just start charcoaling all over the place. And I've seen this like three or four times. Several times I've seen these charcoal guys. And and I cannot remember one time what they were talking about. Now I'm not it was in church, out of church, they were all over the place. It wasn't specifically with a, a Christian message all the time, but I can't remember any message. I cannot remember. What I do remember is that they were up there painting their charcoal. Right? Now, I'm not saying don't do that, don't be a charcoal painter. If you can fit that into your context and get the gospel to people, go for it. Amen. But the point is what I'm trying to say is, is we don't want something like that to distract from the content. And this is exactly what's happened in my life. The charcoal painting was distracting from the content because I remember nothing about the content, what they were saying, and I only remember their little pictures. That's not what we want to do, and this is not what Paul was trying to do. He's, that's what he's putting aside, the charcoal paintings and all those things, so that they can see Christ crucified, so that the content can be protected. And so he decides to know nothing among them. He wants the, their attention to be captured, not by his speaking, not by his intellect, not by his great skill, but by Christ and him crucified. And so he didn't think that explaining more than Christ crucified was going to be helpful in certain ways. He didn't think that using lofty speech and wisdom was going to be helpful. And so he chose not to employ those things to protect the content of the gospel. And so we're thinking like, all right, Paul, good job. You're an apostle. You're awesome. Of course you do that. And you do it really well. What are we supposed to do? The truth of Scripture is that all of us, regardless of where we're at, are to be preachers in some way of the gospel. We are receivers of this good news, and so we are disciples of Christ Jesus. We're following him, but as disciples, he tells us and commands us, go make more disciples. The only way to make more disciples is to be a herald of the good news. In other words, to hear this good news, but also to know that news is always pronounced, and that the way that Jesus gets his news pronounced is through people, through these heralds. And so we are these preachers as well. We are these heralds of the good news and of the gospel. Another place, Paul says, you guys are ambassadors. You've been given this ministry of reconciliation to, to carry forward this mission to the ends of the earth. And so this is part of what we should do as, as heralds of the gospel as well. But we're not just heralds of the gospel, we're also heroes of it. I mean, You're all here today hearing, hopefully, a clear display of the gospel, a clear explanation of the gospel. And so when we think about, in our contexts, in our church, are we going to be good at of the gospel? What we're looking for when we're in this moment is faithfully, faithful content to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're listening for. That's what we're looking to hear from it. We're not looking for all these trappings that go along with it, primarily. We're not looking for, for great smooth speech as if I could do that all the time anyway. We're looking for content. What is the content of the gospel? And so as heralds and hearers of this gospel, our content is everything. And so in other words, the good news is only good news if we, if we explain it rightly. It's not good news if Jesus was crucified and didn't raise from the dead, if we miss that portion. It's not good news if Jesus is is dead, but he's not God or he's not fully man. And so you see, the content of our gospel is very important. This is why Paul is stressing this before them. What you say and how you say it matters. And so we can so often fall into this trap of making something else the main concern, making our, our wisdom sound right, like all of our logic lines up. Sometimes that can be our main concern. Or, or this smooth delivery where we have no hiccups in anything that we tell people. We make that our main concern. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But I am saying our main concern, our primary concern, should be the content of the gospel. This must be our main concern. And so if we get the content right and we mess everything else up, God's power can still be at work, right? But if we do the opposite and we should do really smooth and we miss the content, and we mess that up, then there is no power because there is no gospel. And so we have to be primary, con- primarily concerned about the content of the gospel. And so we go and we preach with intentionality, we're thinking about how to best protect the content of our gospel. We're to listen when when we're hearing preaching, when we're hearing people teach from the scripture. We're listening, not critically, but we're evaluating wisely because we want that content to be protected in any realm that we're in. And so Paul is putting before them to be concerned primarily with the content of the gospel. And as a church, this is what he came to them doing. And so he's spoken about them, about the preaching that he came with them. This is the preaching that I brought to you. But then he kind of turns his focus a little bit from the preaching to him as the preacher. And so he's discussing the preaching, and now he's discussing himself as the preacher. If you look in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, Paul kind of speaks about his own situation here among them. And he's doing some reminiscing. And it's not kind of what you would do when you're normally reminiscing with people. Like, guys, you remember how awesome I was above you? That's what we would do, right? Remember how great that experience was? And Paul comes to them and says, hey, you know what? You remember how weak I was? How much fear and trembling was there? You remember those things? Now, we got to be curious. What what weakness was Paul talking about? Likely, he's speaking in a way that it was something that was observable before him. And when we think about Paul's life, we have a lot of options to pick from of what could have been his visible weakness to this church. So Paul was known to be this guy with kind of messed up knees he was called a man of kind of small stature, so he wasn't a big guy. He was likely balding, you know, had a crooked nose, messed up eyes. He has this thorn in his flesh that he's, we don't know what could have been. It could have been a, a limp. He, he, he had constant hunger, so maybe he didn't look the best. He was working with his hands, so he's probably had this kind of grisly appearance. I, I'm kind of picturing that he kind of looked a little bit like this. <laughs> this is just kind of how I picture it, right? Ugh, kind, of, kind of ugly. Who knows for sure? We can't know precisely what he speaks of, but there's plenty of options when we think about Paul. But I mean, he wasn't just with them in weakness. He didn't just have this outward appearance that could have been kind of grisly. He says he came with them with fear and trembling. Well, once again, we don't, we don't have an explanation of this fear and trembling, We don't know exactly what he was fearful of or what he was trembling for. Maybe it was because he had this weighty message of the gospel that saves sinners in front of a bunch of sinners, and he felt that sense of weight that was on him. Maybe that was his fear and trembling. Maybe he just has this fear of the Lord that he wants to protect this content. Maybe that was his fear and trembling. But whatever it was, it was evident to the Corinthians. They saw his weakness. They saw his fear and trembling. They were evident to them. And so he goes on to talk about it. Verse 4, my speech and my message, they were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now in Paul's day, when he was in Corinth, there were this group of people that would be the opposite of this. There were these sophists that what they would do is that they would come and preach this great content before people. Where they would be praised. Where they would be followed. Where they would even gain paying students for being good at what they do. This is what's going on at the time. And so Paul could have fit in that stream and been just the same as them. He comes and he gives this great skill and he gives great order. You know, he comes with this great message and people start to follow him. Even, Even pay to be his follower. But Paul doesn't do those things. Paul's speech, Paul's message weren't the things that were on display. The content is what he's putting on display. Not his persuasion. Not his gaining of followers. Not his gaining these paying students, but the content was on display. Now, now, we can't get this wrong and think that Paul wasn't a good speaker. That's not true. Maybe look in Acts chapter 14. Paul goes to the city of Lystra. And, and in Lystra, he's there. I think he's with Barnabas, but he speaks and he gives the gospel. And the people are so impressed by him that they start calling him Hermes, which in Greek is, is the Greek god of communication. They're bowing down to him as God. He knows how to speak. He can do this game. He can keep up with some of the Corinthians. Now, maybe he wasn't as high as some of the other ones, but he can speak well. So it's not as if he was a poor speaker. But once again, he's very intentional with what he does. He preaches, not to Let them be impressed with him as the preacher, but so that they would be impressed with Christ, with his content that he's giving to them, with the power of the cross. And so he doesn't come as this powerful preacher. He comes with this powerful message. He lets the Holy Spirit demonstrate his power through this message that he preaches with with much problems, not implausible words or wisdom, with fear and trembling, so he can let the power of the Spirit be on display. It's that that makes the difference. He may have been a weak man with fear and trembling who looked like the penguin, but his message turned cities upside down because it was a powerful message. The gospel worked. Now there's a man whose name is Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. And he was supposed to be at a chapel one day preaching the gospel to a large crowd. And his grandfather is there as well. I don't know if he was a preacher. I didn't get all the background story on that. But he's late and so his grandfather gets up and starts preaching and preaches the gospel. And finally, Spurgeon was kind of a big guy. So I picture him coming in, kind of huffing and puffing a little bit. If he was late, like he was, I bet he didn't breathe very well. So I'm guessing he's running up to the middle and starts to preach, right? And his, his grandfather kind of turns it over to him. He says, well, where are we at? And I'm like, okay, here's where they were preaching Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He's like, here's what I've told them so far. And so Spurgeon just picks up and starts carrying on. In the middle of this, his his grandfather interrupts him a few times to kind of fill in some background, some content that he needed to fill in. But he kind of hands it back off to him. He says, man, my grandson can preach this far better than me. But one thing he does say of his grandson, he says, he cannot preach a better gospel, can he? And so here the grandfather is preaching when the prince of preachers comes in and takes over for him, which would be an odd situation, but he's just willing to let him go. One of the things he knows, he may preach better than me. But he cannot preach a better gospel. This is good news for us. Because the truth is, not many of us are wise. Not many of us are powerful. Not many of us in and of ourselves are very persuasive. We probably couldn't sell a lot of stuff. We couldn't go out there and just sell the gospel to people. If it were in our own strength, it wouldn't work. But we have the gospel and the preacher. No matter how weak, no matter how much trembling still has a powerful message of a crucified Messiah. And the preacher is not the one who's to be impressive to people, but the message of Christ crucified is to be impressive. That's what's to be displayed. And so I hope even every single week you don't see me or anything that I'm saying being displayed, just the content Christ displayed. If you see him, then that's enough. If you forget that I was even the one that spoke, that's fine. We want Christ on display. Not any preacher. And Paul gives us this good news that he comes with weakness and fear and trembling and Christ turned the city upside down because his gospel is the power to save. It's the truth of the gospel that has to change people. No preacher, no speech, no great stories or illustrations are gonna do the work. And so if we're weak, if we're trembling, if we're ugly and look like the penguin, we have this powerful message that can still save people and change lives. Paul employs that message, not any of his great intellect and skill here, so that the content would be on display. And the content is what he wants for even ordinary and weak people to put on display as well. Man, we should be content to be as weak in the world's eyes as they want to think of us. To be as ugly as they want to think. To be as much fear and trembling. To have all those things that Paul speaks about. To have no intellect in the world's eyes. If only we'd be used to preach the gospel. That's what Paul wanted. I don't care. If only I could just preach the gospel. That's what I want on display. And this is where we should be as well. It doesn't matter if I'm weak and ugly and trembling. I want to put the gospel on display. And so we don't want to impress with this great skill. That's not our goal in preaching. That's not our goal with giving people the gospel. We want them to be impressed with this great Savior, not a great speaker. And so the best way to do that, the only way to do that, is to get the content right, to make sure that that is protected so that Christ is clearly displayed. And so our primary concern isn't how we look or how we sound, but with the content, even if our speech is with trembling. Even if we look like we're weak and like the penguin, we want the content to be on display. There's this man, his name was Count Zinzendorf. It's a great name. He was one of the leaders of this great uh, church, sending church called the Moravians. And the Moravians were known more for their sending than for their keeping. It's an awesome story if you read about them. They sent people out with their caskets even saying, go for it. You're probably not coming back. And they were known for just sending people out all over the world. And Count Zinzendorf was one of these key leaders in this church and in this movement. And one of the things that he said to encourage these missionaries as they went out was he would tell them, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That doesn't sound like the pep talk that you're wanting for when you're getting ready to be sent out. But this is exactly the thing that we should take on ourselves. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. We don't care if we're forgotten. We want the gospel to be on display. We don't want our name written down. We want Christ's name to be heralded. We want his renown. We want his fame. And so we want to take this advice, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, adopt it into our lives and say, yeah, let's do that. If anybody forgets my name forever that I was ever at sojourn, if Christ was on display, then that is enough. And so as preachers of the gospel, as heralds of this good news, this is our aim. We may come in weakness and trembling and a fear, but we put put Christ on display. We come with this powerful message of the gospel. We come with this message that says you can be saved here no matter how bad you are. And so when we come and we hear the gospel and we're evaluating what's going on in different churches, because likely most of you won't stay here forever and ever. You when you go to a place, how you evaluate it is you look at the content of their message. What are they saying to people? Is it gospel truth or is it not? This is how we evaluate. This is how we want to hear. This is what we want on display, not lights and videos and all these fancy things. We want Christ to be on display. And the only way to do that is to get the content correct. So why? Why is Paul driving this point so far for them? Why is he pushing so hard for these things? Why is he telling them that his preaching wasn't what the world standards would have thought was very good? Why was he telling them that him as a preacher wasn't what the world standards would have thought of as very impressive? Why is he doing these things? What's the purpose? And so that's where I think we're moving from the preaching to the preacher. Now to the purpose if you look at the end of verse 4. Why does he do it? But in demonstration of the, of the Spirit and of power. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Paul wants the, the Spirit's power to be on display. He wants God's power to be on display. And so he wants their faith not to be rooted in his skill and ability. He wants their faith to rest on the power of God alone. Because Paul knows if it's on anything else, it's going to fade or completely fail. If it doesn't rest in the power of God, then you're not going to have the assurance that you need to continue on in this Christian life. If it's based on anything else, it's going to fade. And so Paul comes with this main purpose so that Christ's power would be on display. So that their faith would rest in God alone and not him as a speaker or anything that he does. Now if you look in Acts chapter 5. This is a similar, this is an easy idea, an easy concept that Paul's putting before them. In Acts chapter 5, a few of the apostles have been arrested for preaching the gospel. And they're kind of wondering, what do we need to do with these guys? Do we need to kill them? Do we need to get rid of them? Do we need to put them in jail forever? And so they're discussing these things amongst themselves. And I'm going to pick up in verse 33. It said, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel A teacher of the law, held in high honor in all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, big following, joined him. But what happened? He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. And he too perished. And what happened to them? And all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking of, is of man, it will fail. You see, the world knew of messages and people where the person was the focal point, where his message was the focal point. So much so that if this guy dies, the people, his followers, fall away. Paul knows of these things. He probably even knew some of these people that fell away after they were following this leader. Paul does not want this to happen to the Corinthians. Paul doesn't want to die and then all the Corinthian church completely disperse. And so he knows if their faith is put in him, even a little bit that that's going to cause them problems down the road. And so he preaches and he comes in such a way so that their faith would rest in God alone. He decides to know nothing among them. He decides to come in weakness and in fear so that their faith would rest in the power of God. And one commentator said it really well, that faith is not based on how entertaining, informative, or compelling the speaker is, but of the power of God transforming the hearts of hearers. This is what Paul wants for them that they wouldn't put any faith in him. And to do this, the content is key. Faith comes by hearing, but not just hearing anything, hearing by the word of Christ. And so it has to be a word of Christ. It doesn't just come by hearing any news. It comes by hearing the word of Christ. The content is important Because it's through Christ's work and what we say about his work and what he's done that the message is powerful. And so we say that people are saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That matters. That that content is there. Because if that content's not there, then we skew the whole thing. And people aren't resting in Christ alone for their salvation, but in something else. Paul's purpose wasn't to gain more followers It wasn't to to get a fan base for himself, to have this Paul fan club floating around all over the place. He didn't want people to say how impressive he was, that he sounds better than others, or that he looks better than others, or that his arguments make more sense than others. What he wants is for God's power to be on display through the gospel. What he wants is for this foolish message of Christ crucified to completely flip the city upside down. What he wants is Christ on display, and so he protects that content. So Paul's purpose in both the form that he did it and the content that he gave them was that their power, the power of God would be on display, but that their faith would rest in the power of God. And this is to be our purpose as well. If we're going out to Thailand or to our neighborhood and we're preaching the gospel, this ought to be our purpose that their faith might rest in the power of God, that Christ might be on display, that they would trust in God alone and not me as a speaker or anybody else that they could follow. So much so that we could say, if I die, no followers would fall away. That is here at Sojourn, if Dylan dies, if I get struck down, no one falls away. No one leaves because Christ is the one who is trusted, not any preacher And so we want to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Jesus be trusted, not any speaker. And so preachers have to know that they don't save people. Preaching doesn't save people. Christ saves people by his spirit. And it's through this content that this gospel comes to people. And so we have to be concerned primarily with this content. The ability of preachers, the strength of the message, they may come and go even weekly, you notice. There are probably some stronger and weaker times. But what has to be on display is this content that puts Christ as the foremost, puts Christ as primary. Christ reigns, he rules, and his power is on display even in weak preaching from weak people. And this is good news for us who are weak preachers and weak people, that we have a powerful message. So biblical preaching, this is what it emphasizes, the gospel. And it elevates Christ and Christ alone. That's what biblical preaching is. It doesn't seek applause. It seeks changed lives, knowing that the preacher, the speaker, never changes any lives. Only Christ does that. And so even as we hear preaching, this is to be our standard. The gospel, it has to be gospel-centered. It has to be focused on Christ. Christ has to be the one displayed. And if we're going to places that are distracting us from those things, that are pulling away, that are shifted in focus, from Christ and his gospel, then we may not be in the right place. This is to be our desire and our purpose that Christ would be on display. And so as believers, we're all called to preach, to proclaim, to be heralds of this good news. And our power, it's not within us. Our power is in this message of Christ. And so we don't have to worry when we give the gospel to people. Did I do enough? Was I persuasive enough? Was I smooth enough in my delivery? Did I illustrate that well enough? We don't have to be primarily concerned about those things. Because the power of our message isn't in any of those things at all. The power is in Christ and Him crucified. Yeah, we're going to look dumb sometimes. And we're going to stammer. And we're going to say some things that are probably a little bit off. But as long as we get the gospel out, we don't have to be impressive. We don't have to worry about those things. We press on because the message is important. The content is what must be protected, not our own dignity, not our own pride, not our own worth. Christ must be displayed. And so we as believers have been charged with this mission not to be impressive, Not to be persuasive to where they can't pick anything else, but to get the message to their ears. Get the content of the gospel to their ears and let God take it the rest of the way. That is our primary concern. We don't seek applause or prestige or a following or adoration. We seek changed lives by the power of the gospel. And so, as believers, we're to be a gospel people. A gospel people. The gospel is what we say is focused on Christ and him crucified, this message of the cross. It's to be exalting Christ and his power. And as gospel people, we have to be concerned with content. We have to be concerned with what this gospel is saying and how it is being spoken because we want God's power to be on display. Not a man, not a video, not a show. We want God's power to be displayed. And so, we need to be concerned with content. We need to strategize and think how to present this well to protect the content. We need to go with intentionality. We need to listen to preaching and evaluate it wisely and think about it the right way. We need to preach it faithfully, but ultimately, we need to trust in God. Because He is the one who's in control of these things. And so, take away the guitars, take away the lights, and the soft, awesomely colored chairs, and this ornate, beautiful building. Take away the coffee. Take away all the amenities that we offer. Is the content of the gospel enough to keep you? And if it is not, then you can be sure that your concern is not on the right thing. And that you need to shift your focus. If God's power and the content of his gospel is not enough for you, then you need to trust in God alone. You need to believe in Christ and his gospel. But if it is enough, if the content is the only thing that keeps you here and everything else we can just live with because the content is enough, then you can be sure that God's power is at work in your life and that this isn't even your own doing, that you've been captured by the attention of the gospel. It's the work of God in your life that no man may boast. So this church, we're not to be a country club. We're not to be a gym or a cafe or the place where everybody comes to get all their amenities and all the things that they want in life taken care of. If we do that, fine. The primary concern should never be those things. The primary concern must be the gospel. The customer is not king. Jesus is king. And we need to concern ourselves with the content of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, would you protect us from all these things that can so easily distract us from what is primary. Christ, you are primary. You are the one who is worthy to be lifted up and to be displayed. Nothing else is even halfway up to your worth. And so may we never put anything even close to that. May we never put anything as an importance in our life that's even close to the importance we place on you and your fame and your glory and you being displayed in our lives. And would you protect this church and this body from those things? Protect us and in our individual lives from making our concern anything else but Christ. Help us to be faithful heralds of the good news, knowing that the content is so key and important Thank you for the heart of these people, these sojourners that are here with us, and even the heart of what was formed here at the beginning, that the content is essential and primary, and that all those other things may come and go, but that Christ must be displayed. And his gospel is important. May we stay in that place for God's glory, for your renown, for your honor, not for our own. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.